It's Monday, June 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Hey, hey, good to see you. We're going to talk travel and lodging. We've got news from the sexy world of concrete, but we are going to start with the hottest new sci fi series. Bezos in space. (laughs) Yes, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos announced that on July 20th, when Blue Origin makes its first space flight with humans on board, he will be, in fact, one of those humans. And I'm not going to lie, when I first saw this story, I just, like, my heart was in my throat for just a second. And then I took a deep breath and I thought, you know what? He knows what he's doing, and he'll be two weeks out of the CEO uh, chair by then. So, uh, look, he can do what he wants. And this is, this is, um, is this a good sign for Amazon shareholders like me who are hoping that Andy Jassy is going to get to run the company for a while? Like, because like, like, when I thought about it a little more, I thought, well, maybe he really is going to lean into blue origin and he'll he'll be the executive chairman at amazon but he's not going to be looking over jassy's shoulder 24 7. um i you know i think that amazon is in a position amazon the business is in a position today where it 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 can it can handle something like this i mean i i i must admit and i mean i i don't mean to get morbid i mean i read a headline like this and immediately my mind goes to oh my god this is just shaping up to be one of those situations in hindsight where something bad happens and you just, you know, it just, it could have been avoided or whatever. I think that's probably human nature in a lot of cases when you're talking about something so uncertain as space travel. I mean, uh, now, now the flip side to that is, and and I think that investors in Amazon, and I'm one, uh, should, should take solace in knowing that this business has, I, I think that Amazon, the business has transcended Jeff Bezos. At this point, um, I, I really do believe that Amazon is is, is in a position today where um, it, it can it can move forward, it can grow, it can continue to, to prosper, even with Jeff Bezos not at the helm. And, and if if you're in a position like that, which is is a nice nice situation, then I mean I you can't really hold it against Bezos for wanting to do this. I mean when you look into What's going on here? I mean, this ultimately really is like a, this is a childhood dream of his. And so anybody who ever has the opportunity to actually fulfill a childhood dream, I mean, it's really hard to argue against doing something like that. Um, I'm not surprised at all to see this. And so honestly, to me, what this is, the more interesting implication for investors is to think about, you know, we talk about companies and like, what's their second act? You know what are they going to do next beyond their core competency, and I think that in this case, this you know we're looking, we're watching Jeff Bezos' second act kind of start to play out here. I mean, Blue Origin itself has been a passion of his for a long time. I think in its first iteration, it was founded back in 2000, I think. So it's been around for a while. Um, it, it reminds me of the you know the book we've talked about it before, the book that Christian Davenport wrote called the uh, the Space Barons, and we you know we had the good fortune to interview Christian on the on the Mollyful Money Radio Show. Um, there's a story in there that talks about how back in I think it was 2013, uh, Jeff Bezos had just sort of this itch where he undertook this insane multi-million dollar deep sea exploration to go recover the F1 engines from Saturn V, 
which was, you know, that was the Apollo missions from back in the late 60s, early 70s. Like these F-1 engines that release from the exploration and they, you know, they, they from the launch, they drop down into the middle of the ocean. Just, you assume they're gone forever. Well, Bezos said, you know what, man, I, I need I need those. <laughs> so he, he funds and, and goes on this multi-million dollar, uh, three, four, five week exploration in the deep sea to pull these F-1 engines up. And, and that, that to me is, is just one small little example of his passion for this, for this space, no pun intended. I mean, he really is all about it. And, and I think that for investors, I'm really fascinated to see what becomes of Blue Origin. I mean, I, I really do, I feel like there are going to be some neat opportunities that come from investing in space over the course of the next decade and beyond. Um, to me, I mean, it seems like Bezos is going to be one of the people leading that charge as well. So, talk about second acts. I, I just, I think investors need to keep an eye on what he's doing because there are going to be opportunities that come from this. And I'm assuming the reason shares of Virgin Galactic are up nearly 10% today are because of this. You know, Virgin Galactic is a public company. Uh, Richard Branson, you know, was asked for his response on this. Like he's he's looking to get up there. Um, either later this year or sometime next year. So, um, yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see where this goes. I, I would be surprised. Um, I could be wrong because I frequently am, but I would be surprised if Blue Origin ends up being a public company. I feel like Bezos has had his share of running a public <laughs> yeah. company, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm all in on this, but this is going to be a private endeavor. I feel like, yeah, I feel like you're probably right. And, and like, I mean, w watch this, just the complete opposite happen. But right. to me, it, it does make sense. What what you're saying makes perfect sense. I mean, there, there are a lot of benefits that come with being a publicly traded company. There are plenty of drawbacks as well. And it's, it, yeah, he's, he's gone through so much of, of his life as a publicly traded founder slash CEO. And if he doesn't need it, with something like Blue Origin, then I can't imagine he would really want it. I mean, it really gets you from under the microscope. Now, I mean, it's also worth noting, there could be plenty of opportunities that are born from Blue Origin, right? So maybe Blue Origin itself doesn't go public, but maybe you see it start spinning out some of these technologies that it's developing and, and, and those become investment opportunities. Um, I, I absolutely could see that happen. And then maybe down the road, I mean, you see Blue Origin as sort of this futuristic Berkshire Hathaway, so to speak, where it's a holding company with all of these different, uh, you know, opportunities that are, that are focusing on all of these different cross sections of what is this 21st century economy that really hasn't fully formed yet. Vulcan Materials is the largest producer of construction aggregates in America, aggregates being stone, gravel, uh, sand, crushed stone. Vulcan is buying U.S. concrete for $1.3 billion in cash, and uh, that means shares of U.S. concrete are up around 30% off of where they closed on Friday. Uh, Vulcan Materials shares up about 1%, which indicates to me that the market likes this deal at this price. And I, I read this story, Jason, and it took me back to last Friday when we were doing Motley Fool Money, and Emily Flippin made the point about Etsy's recent acquisition and how she, all things being equal, she would prefer to see companies making acquisitions in cash because she feels like that's a 
a better indication of how um, how they feel about uh, you know there's they're basically all in on the acquisition in in a way that's a, a little bit more invested than if they're doing it with stock and this is Vulcan Materials just stroking a big check. Um, it it looks like a good deal on the surface for all involved. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> you use the word sexy. I I kind of had that first impression as well. Like this is the deal that on its surface, the headline will make you sleepier than a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, <laughs> just the 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 sexy world of aggregates and concrete. I mean, you know, let's Tim the Toolman Taylor up here and grunt uh, because that's kind of what this deal this deal makes you think of is just construction infrastructure. Uh, and, and while that may not be the sexiest. Uh, sounding industry, you know, I, I actually think there's something here. Uh, U.S. Concrete, I mean, I think the deal, it's a fair deal. I mean, U.S. Concrete is, uh, it's a business that has not been growing. I mean, you look at the top line uh, revenue numbers there over the last five years, really not moving anywhere. Um, and, and, you know, U.S. Concrete is interesting in that while it's part of that aggregates industry, it primarily, I mean, this is a mixed concrete story. Like, that's what they do most. I mean, I think 85% of their revenue is tied to mixed concrete. So, it is, it is something where it's going to be a complementary acquisition for, for Vulcan. Uh, where you know, Vulcan, as you, as you mentioned with aggregates, I mean, that is primarily Vulcan's business. I mean, that's 75% of total revenue for, for Vulcan is just straight up aggregates. And so, ultimately, the two go hand in hand, right? It's kind of like Reese's peanut butter. You can't really have one without the other. And and so, to me, this is actually a very smart acquisition from a number of angles. And, and for Vulcan, it's a company with a long history of, of uh, growth by acquisition. I mean, they even note it in, in the 10K. I mean, they say, since becoming a public company in 1956, Vulcan has principally grown by mergers and acquisitions. Um, it, it's just fascinating to think the U.S. aggregates industry it's composed of over 5,000 companies that manage close to 11,000 operations. And so, you can see with aggregates, for example, I mean, stone, sand, whatnot, I mean, that's heavy stuff, which means it costs a lot to move. And so, you really want to get these resources as close to their end user as possible. And so, consolidation is, is something that can really help that. And it sounds like this is going to be, uh, you know, something that Vulcan is going to continue uh, to, to do in, in, in the coming years. Now, a couple things. I mean, you look at Vulcan. I mean, it's, it's not been the greatest investment. I mean, it's not been a, a bad investment. I mean, if you look over the last five years, I mean, the total return for Vulcan there, I mean, you made money. I mean, your stock's up around 60, 62% there, but the, but the market is, is, is outpacing it. And so, you know, take that, take that uh, however you will. Um, but I, I think the one thing to think about here, and this is just, uh, this is something I'd want to dig into a little bit more. Um, and, and I talked about this a little bit on Motley Fool Money last week, was just this idea of the, of the infrastructure bill that is being batted around here in D.C. Um, I mean, there are a lot, lot, of, lot of T's flowing out there, Chris, a lot, a lot of trillions. And, and I mean, it, it's going to come down to a big number. No matter, no matter what the number is, I mean, it's going to come down to a big number. Um, and it's going to be somewhere in that trillion dollar range. And, and so, if you're looking for ways 
Um, I'm not going to call this a reopening play. I don't want to view this as a reopening play, but I do believe this is a company that could really benefit from the tailwind of this infrastructure spending. I mean, uh, a good, good portion, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of half of Vulcan's business is tied to public projects. So government-funded projects, they're very reliable. Uh, and, and when you have, when you have uh, a government that really is, is uh, dead set on, on infrastructure spending, as, as it seems like we are headed in that direction, I mean, Vulcan strikes me as a company really poised to benefit from this. And so bringing that ready-mix concrete business into the fold, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it seems like they're getting a fair price. And I agree. I like the all-cash dynamic of the deal. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Robin Rifkin in the Emerald City. Um, he sent an article about the hotel industry and wrote, I thought you might find this interesting. I love Airbnb and will be doubling down on this substantial dip, but I'm staying long on my investments in Marriott and Booking Holdings. Um, and before I get to the article, uh, the dip in terms of Airbnb, I mean, that's a, earlier this year, that was over $210 a share. It's it's down uh, around 150 So, it's definitely dropped down from there. Um, but the article he sent was essentially transaction data tracking how travel-related industries are recovering. Um, what I like about the data is it doesn't just go back a year. It goes back to January 2019. Um, and, you know, you do see um, more of a boost for Airbnb than you do for hotels writ large, although interesting to see that they're back up above where they were in January 2019 as well. Yeah, I like I like Robin's perspective there on both counts. I mean, number one, I agree. I think Airbnb just has a ton of potential. Um, and I also think that companies like Booking and Marriott remain very relevant in, 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 when you consider how large of a market opportunity travel really is. I mean, I, I know that over the past year we've been talking about the demise of business travel and yada yada yada. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think there's you know, the business travel is is going to be impacted somewhat from from what has transpired over the last year. Um, but but I, I don't believe that business travel is going away. The dodo bird. I think a lot of people are ready to get back out there and do stuff. Um, I mean, I, you just you see it, and and I think that these these numbers, this data in the article that he sent, I mean, I think that that really speaks to that, um, not just from the perspective of of those those Airbnb numbers and in, in, in hotel numbers, but just the general desire for people to get back out doing stuff. Um, and in the thing, the nice thing about Airbnb is just, I mean, this is really a fascinating business from a number of perspectives. I mean, the brand awareness alone is so strong and it's built up a very nice uh, sort of repeat customer base. And I, I like the idea of just kind of going back all the way to 2019. Let's try to normalize this a little bit. But I mean, in 2019, 69% of Airbnb's revenue was generated by stays from repeat guests. I mean, repeat guests are just a terrific indicator that a business is doing something right. And so that's going to be a valuable metric to continue to follow. And I think that for, for younger travelers, particularly, um, that are just coming into the market, travelers that are just starting to work and travel on their own and do uh, do things like that. I mean, Airbnb. I mean, just the sort of the sort of sharing economy, so to speak. I mean, this is just this is the normal way of doing things. And so, 
we grew up <laughs> staying at hotels and making reservations by calling on the telephone. I mean, now it's you seal the deal with an app on your phone, and, and uh, Airbnb has just done a tremendous job of building out that mobile presence. So, uh, I mean, when you look at the serviceable, serviceable addressable market that they view as $1.5 trillion, I mean, you can see that not only is Airbnb a company that you really probably want to own in the space, but I think it also speaks to his point. You know, don't 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 leave Marriott and Booking Holdings for dead yet, because I'll tell you, Marriott's got more than seventy six hundred properties around the world, and and we've talked before about that Bonvoy loyalty app. I mean, 150 million Bonvoy members. There's a lot that you can do with that, and um, and and so. Booking, I mean, we've been watching that play out for, for years now, and it's just been a tremendous sort of one-stop shop for travelers. I mean, I, I, like, I like watching this recovery. Do you think Airbnb can pull off a, any type of a rewards program, or is the very nature of their business and the fact that you know, they're not a hotel chain, they're just a, a, a massive platform of individual homeowners, does that preclude them from rolling out a rewards program that, um, you know, similar to what Marriott has done? Um, I mean, it, it does not preclude them from doing that. Now, I, 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 uh, I don't. I, I, I will admit, I don't know if they are doing anything in that realm now. I don't think they are. But, but to me, it seems like a no-brainer that you have to do something like that. I mean, when you have a network that large, and, and I mean, it's a two-sided network too, right? I mean, it, it's we see companies like Etsy and Square talk about the value of that two-sided network. I mean, Airbnb is that two-sided network as well, scratching the itch for both travelers and hosts. I mean, to me, when you have that type of brand awareness, that type of loyalty and repeat customer, I mean, it only makes sense to build out some kind of a loyalty program. And I mean, it can be something internal. It can be something in partnership with credit card uh, companies. I mean, just a lot of different retailers. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can go about it. Um, So, I I suspect that if there's not something that they're doing right now, it definitely has to be something in development there because um, it's too much loyalty uh, with that company now. You, you You can't take that for granted. Uh, particularly today, the way technology has changed things. You, there's so many more competitors that can come online so much more quickly now than ever before. Uh, kind of going back to Jeff Bezos, uh, always waking up in fear every every day of the customer of the competition. I mean, I think Airbnb management would, would be wise to, to wake up every morning being being afraid of the competition and, and what customers can do because there are a lot of choices out there today. And so you want to do everything you can to, to keep that loyalty strong. And, and a rewards program, a loyalty program, absolutely the one no-brainer way to do it. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. You got it. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.